have a seat this morning. Yeah, call by name takes the seats, and uh, remember it's kids' camp time. So, well, hey, thanks for giving me uh, giving me a Sunday off last week, and uh, I mean I know it's here on the screen, and uh, sorry about the bright light in the background, but you know it was it's like osmosis, you know that when you sleep and you learn, you know put a tape under your pillow and you learn something. We, I guess we were hoping that you know you'd get if nothing else you'd get from the message that light is good. Go to the light, right? So it's kind of this aura thing, but. Uh, I had a good week, uh, took some vacation time, and uh, Friday we left and we went up to uh, um, Amory, Wisconsin, where our daughter is working at one of our Bible camps up there, and uh, hung out with her for Friday and Saturday, and then went off to uh, Chitek, uh, Wisconsin, and uh, I can tell you, and I'm sure the people in Chitek will debate this, but I can tell you that uh, on Chitek Lake, on the whole chain, there's no fish. So don't bother going there, because... They're not there. I looked everywhere for them. They do not exist there. Okay, uh, but we had a great, a great uh, time. And uh, of course, you know, when you when you're going off in Wisconsin and traveling in the summertime, you quickly realize that in the summer of Wisconsin, you know, there's the season of the summer, but there also is construction season, right? When you're on the highways and you're on the roadways and you're making that traveling wherever you're going on the interstate. You ultimately run into those uh, orange barrels, right? And uh, you know, my favorite is when you're on the on the freeway and you're going along, and there's there's the sign that says "shoulder under repair," and then the orange barrels start, and you go for about two miles of orange barrels closing off the shoulder, and you know they're just kind of right there, and you're worried about hitting them, and then you finally come up on some workmen, and they're working on about 30 feet. Of shoulder, and then you go past them, and you get another two miles of orange barrels. Has anybody been on that road? Doesn't it feel that way? Yeah, I think it's the barrel guy. You know, the guy that owns the barrels. I think it's just he just just talked him into all those barrels, so they figure they got to use them somehow, so they keep putting them out there. Well, uh, you know, we went through all that, and. You know, one of the realities of uh, living here is there's just always construction and things going on and the widening of roads. You know, we're widening Mequon Road down here and they're going to be widening a road north of us. Highway O, I understand, is going to be widened. And, and just keep going. When you're over in Israel, that's what we're doing this summer, right? We're doing sightseeing uh, over in Israel. When you're over in Israel and you go down into Old Town, Jerusalem, there's, there's one thing that strikes you right away. So take a look at this picture. There's a street in Old Town, Jerusalem. What do you notice? It's very narrow. Guess what? I don't care how many orange barrels you put there, you're not going to widen that road very easy, are you? And there's going to be no shoulder under repair on that one, right? The streets in, in Old Jerusalem are just, are just really narrow. And what's interesting is, as you're walking along those streets, and you've got to look really close to see it, but as you're walking along those streets, there's just doorways. You know, there's, you're walking along, and there's a doorway. There, there's no front porch. There's, you know, you're just walking the street, and there's a doorway, and then there's another doorway, and a doorway over on that side. And, and if you turn and go down another street that's just as narrow, you're going to find just more doorways along the way. This, all the way along, as you're walking this narrow street... There are these doorways, and every doorway represents an opportunity. An opportunity for, obviously, you to either go in or somebody else to come out. You've got to be careful when you're walking on those streets because 
you can be walking on the streets and the door can just open up and somebody's just coming out of their house and boom, right on the street, right where you are. The same is true when you go into Old Jerusalem and you're in the marketplace. And the next picture kind of shows you that. Yeah, a little wider street, but uh, that's kind of the marketplace. And you notice to the sides there, uh, they're all locked up in this picture. But what, what do you notice? Lots of doorways that are all locked up, right? You know, and so when, when business is uh, at hand here, all those doorways are open, and you're walking through this narrow street, and it's just shop after shop after shop after shop after shop. And, and you get to take, take your choice. You choose to either go in the doorway or not go in the doorway to experience whatever's in the shop, right? Um, and it's still that same narrow, narrow street with all those doorways of opportunity. That's what I want to talk about this morning, is talking about uh, the doorways that we experience in our lives. The doorways of opportunity that God brings uh, into our life. Uh, let me start by just reminding you that there is really only one doorway that is the most important doorway that you will ever experience in your life. And interestingly, it's not a doorway that you walk through. It is a doorway that you must be prepared to open in your life. It comes to us out of uh, Revelations uh, 3, and it's the Holy Spirit talking uh, uh, for Jesus in Revelation 3. And uh, look at what it says. It says, listen. Now, right away, you're supposed to do what? Listen. So he's bringing emphasis to say, now, look, this is important. Husband and wives, have you had that conversation sometime where, where you're talking with one another and you don't, don't think the other person is really listening? And so you end up saying something like, now, will you just listen? Anybody else had that conversation? I mean, I admit my wife has kind of thrown that my way once in a while, right? Would you just pay attention? Would you just listen? Right? That's what he's doing here. He's saying, look, Listen, this is too important for you to miss. Just listen for a minute. Listen. He says, listen, I am standing and knocking at your door. Stop there. There's a couple interesting things. Notice, where is Jesus saying he's standing? He's standing at your door. Notice this is not a generic statement. This isn't just some generic statement that says... Jesus is just out there standing at a variety of doors, here, there, and everywhere. And it's kind of like, you may find him at this door, and you may find him at that door, and he's just kind of standing around somewhere at some door someplace. No, he's saying he is standing at a specific place, and that specific place is your door. He is standing at the doorway of your life. And notice as well, He's not just kind of standing there and hanging out, right? I mean, he's not just kind of standing there going, okay, all right, just kind of hanging out, hoping they come to the door. No, what does the text say he's doing? He is standing at the door and, right? He is standing at the door. He is actively engaged in trying to enter into your life. Jesus is just not stepping back and just kind of hanging out and saying, hope someday, sometime. He is actively engaged in saying, listen, 
Hey, pay attention. Open the door. He is eager. He is anxious. He wants to bring every opportunity that He can bring into your life by His very presence. He is anxious. He is eager to move into your life regardless of the situation you find yourself in right now. He is anxious and He is eager to bring everything that He brings. And notice how He says it. He says, If you hear My voice and open the door, I will come in and we will eat together. He will come into your life and He will sit at table and He will bring you sustenance. He will be the food of your life. You see, the most important door isn't a door that you walk through. The most important door in your life is a willingness to open up your life and absolutely surrender it to the movement of Jesus Christ. To just surrender. Whether you're in a high point in your life and things are going awesome, great, and fantastic, or whether you're in a challenging point in your life and you're not sure what's next, that you're willing to just keep surrendering. That you surrender and you open that door every single day, every single hour, every single moment, and you just keep surrendering life to the movement of Jesus. And let Him be your strength and let Him be your sustenance. Here's a picture of a couple doors uh, in uh, in uh, Jerusalem. And actually, they're, um, they're called Veronica's door. And uh, it's in that experience uh, called the Via Dolorosa. It is the walk of the, the way of the cross in old Jerusalem. That Jesus, when he was carrying the cross from when uh, he was sent by a pilot to Golgotha, and they put the cross on him, and he carried it all the way to Golgotha with Simon's help eventually. That path is marked, and as you go through, you see the big black disc up there on the, above the doors. Um, it, you walk this path, and there are these different stations of experiences that happened in Jesus' life. At this doorway, it is the experience of uh, Veronica when Jesus fell under the cross and she came and she wiped his brow. Tradition is she came and, and uh, wiped his brow. What happened? She's just at her door. And Jesus came knocking. And she was willing to surrender and enter into Jesus' life. The reality for us is that Jesus is always knocking and he's always anxious and he's always working to be a significant, absolute center of our life. Now what you have to understand is if you open the door and you let Jesus in like this, when Jesus moves in, he fills up the whole room. And if he fills up the whole room, then there's other things that have to move out. You see, it's interesting thing about Jesus he, he's not into roommates. He, he doesn't like sharing space. He, he's not into roommates. You know, if you went through college, any of you go through college and, and you had that quad uh, room in the dormitory where you had four people in one room, anybody do that? My sympathy. Yeah, because why? That's so hard. It's so hard because you get all these people in one little space and they all have their own ideas and their own needs and you got to balance all that stuff. You see, when Jesus moves in, he's not into roommates. He wants to move in and become the center 
And that means everything else moves out. Everything else that is contrary to who Jesus is and what Jesus wants for your life, they move out. To give you the, the scriptural reference for it, if you go to 1 John 3, it says in 1 John 3, uh, Jesus isn't sinful, and people who stay one in their hearts with him won't keep on sinning. If they do keep on sinning, they don't know Christ, and they've never seen him. So what's the proof that Jesus has moved in? Well, when Jesus moves in, if there's things in your life that are contrary to the way God would have you live, if there's activity and behavior in your life that's contrary to what Jesus teaches, then that stuff just has to move out. That when Jesus moves in, he moves in with such a completeness and a fullness for your life that there's no room for the other stuff. There's just no room for those other roommates. There's, there's no room for that behavior or for that old habit or whatever it is that you've been doing in your life that's selfish and self-focused. When Jesus moves in, he moves those people out and those behaviors out, and he becomes the center of our life. He becomes the only roommate that matters in our life. 1 John 3 again says later on in the same, same chapter, it says, God's children cannot keep on being sinful. His life-giving power lives in them and makes them his children. So they cannot keep on sinning. You can tell God's children from the devil's children because those who belong to the devil refuse to do right or to love each other. Conversely, then, those who belong to Jesus do what? Live right, righteously, and live in a loving way. Correct? You know, the deal is, Jesus moves in. When you open that door and you let Jesus move in, you surrender everything to him. See, you can't just kind of open the door and kind of leave it open a crack and just kind of let Jesus put one foot into your life. You know, he can't just kind of come in on Monday and Tuesday and then say, oh, no, wait a minute, it's Wednesday. This isn't Jesus' day. When, when Jesus moves in, Jesus moves in. And we surrender our whole life to him. And that means our lives are going to change. And we're going to be more and more like him and less and less like the world. It means we will take on the way of the cross. If you look at the next picture, it's a doorway of, along the Via Della Rosa. And uh, this is the doorway which marks the place where it's believed Jesus was the first time Jesus fell under the weight of the cross. And you can see over the doorway, it's depicted in that way, with the heaviness of the cross. What's the point? Well, the point is, whatever that heaviness is, Jesus can carry it. You, you, don't, need to, you don't need to try to bear up under it anymore by yourself. When Jesus moves in, he's able to carry with you whatever that challenge is. You see, even though he fell this time, he got up and he what? He carried the cross the rest of the way. Even though he fell again, he got up and he carried the cross even further. And when the whole experience was over, he hung on the cross to carry all the way to the world. When Jesus moves in, he moves in not just with his presence, but with his strength and with his power. Second door. Doorway number two is that when Jesus moves in there, Jesus moves in and he provides a future and the past becomes 
the past. You ever notice how you go through doors? Ever think about that? How you go through doorways? How do you usually go through doorways? Well, if you guys can track with me over here, it's the only door I got that's close, okay? When you go through doorways, how do you go through doors? Like this? You don't do that, right? Can you see what I'm doing back there? I mean, you don't back your way through doorways, right? So that you're looking at what's behind you. No, when you go through a doorway, you grab the handle, you open the door, and you walk through the doorway face forward to whatever is in front of you, whatever's on the other side of the door. You see, the same is true for us when Jesus moves into our life. When he moves into our life, he gets our future Focus our orientation going forward to the doors, doorways of opportunities going to have. We don't keep looking backwards and back our way into the future. We don't hold on to what's behind us anymore. We reach for what God has in front of us. If you look at Scripture, Galatians 2, Paul would understand his life this way. He would say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What happened in Paul's life? He got a whole new beginning, didn't he? He, got a whole, he doesn't live anymore the way he once was. He now lives as a new person in Christ. His orientation is the future of what God's going to do in his life. It's not into holding on into what's past. If you go to John 10, Jesus uh, says it this way. Verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All that came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved and shall go in and shall go out and shall find pasture. The thief cometh not, but that he may steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it how? Abundantly, You see that? See, his orientation is not to your past. See, the truth for us all is that we all have things in our past. We all have things in our past, and I'm not going to tell you the ones that are in mine because I don't need to carry them anymore. You see, when Jesus was carrying the cross, he was carrying all those things. And I don't need to concentrate on those things anymore. Instead, I can look to the future and know that God's got something in store. Our orientation shifts from carrying the past instead to moving towards the future. He invites us to get into the flow of the direction He wants for our lives. If you look at the next picture, it's another doorway. It's the doorway where uh, Jesus fell for the last time. And the guards grabbed a guy named Simon of Cyrene and said, Here, you carry the cross now. This guy's too weak. You carry the cross now. And so Simon just got thrown into the experience of carrying the cross for Jesus. He just got thrown into the experience of what was going on in the moment and what God had chosen him to do. And we would remember it to this day. The reality is that as we're walking with our orientation to the future, God is working in our life and creating those opportunities that we're just going to get thrown into. And we don't know what, what they are. We only know that God is in our future and that God is in charge of what's in front of us. It is just the way 
that we walk now. We've opened the door. It's the way that we walk now. It's so interesting in the Bible that uh, we learn things from the negative things even in the Bible. Let me show you two instances. One is from the book of Acts, and it was the experience of the Apostle Paul, who became eventually the Apostle Paul, who's here referred to as Saul. But it's before Jesus came into his life, before he opened the door and let Jesus and surrendered to Jesus in his life. Before that, he was a persecutor of the church. And, and notice what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to what? The way. You see that? Who is he talking about? He's talking about Christians, right? He's talking about people who are who are following Christ. So Paul is going to go persecute people who are following Christ. And notice, those people are already identified. And they're identified as people of the way. What does it mean? We have a way. I mean, we, we just have a way. That God is making a way. And we're people who walk that way. We don't walk any other way. We just walk that way. We walk the way that Jesus wants us to walk. Is that way always going to be easy? No, not at all. Is that way always going to be absolutely crystal clear? No, sometimes we got to muddle our way through. But that way is always the only way. It is the way that Jesus wants us to travel. It's what He teaches for us. It's what He directs for us. It's what He desires for us. It's not about what we desire. You can see it in Mark 12. Again, an interesting place where a truth comes out from a negative. It's where some, uh, some leaders come to try and trick Jesus. And in the midst of it, listen to the truth that's proclaimed. It says, later they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Okay, so they're going to try to trick him. They came to him and they said, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. That's what he does. You see, Jesus is not working in our lives in order to appease anybody else. Jesus isn't working in our lives to somehow appease or or, you know, do something that is politically correct or whatever the world would expect. No, he's working in our lives in the way that he knows our lives need to go. He knows. He teaches us and he knows the way that is the only way that is really the way of truth. Now, the struggle for us, the struggle for us is constantly surrendering, even when it's not clear. And the challenge is difficult. Let me give you a neat example from Jerusalem. When you're walking through old Jerusalem, you'll be going down one of these narrow streets. And notice there's no doorways here, right? It's just a street. It's just a wall. And there's an archway, and, and you can't see it to the right there, but it's, it's just a street, okay? You're just walking down this street, this narrow street. And all of a sudden, while you're walking down this narrow street, over on the left... You see the eighth, they had to put a sign out so you don't miss it. See that? The eighth station of Via Della Rosa. There's the eighth station there. And here's a closer look at the, at the eighth station. In the middle of the wall, 
there is just this, this placard in the middle of the wall. And you can see lettering on the placard, and, and the lettering is I-C-X-C-N-I-K-A. So it's, you know, I-C up on the right, and then it's X-C over on the, or up on the left, X-C over on the right, and then down on the left, N-I and K-A, okay? Now, what's cool about that is, you know what that means? Of course you don't. I do. I have notes on it. It says, Jesus Christ conquers. Jesus Christ conquers. Isn't that neat? You see, you're just walking down the street of the narrow way. You're just walking down the street of the narrow way. And there's all kinds of doorways of opportunity out there in front of you. But right there in the midst of whatever your experience is the word that says Jesus Christ conquers. And that's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. Jesus Christ conquers conquers. You see, this is the place on the way of the, of the cross where Jesus comforts the women. It's where the women are weeping and he speaks a word of comfort to the women. He's in the midst of his way of the cross and he speaks this word of comfort and power. You see, when we're walking the way and all those doorways of opportunities are out there in front of us, we just need to keep seeking whatever the way is that Jesus wants for our life and do it with a confidence that says, Jesus Christ conquers. Is it always easy? No, I'm not selling those goods. It's hard stuff. It's discernment. It's staying faithful in the difficult times and saying, Jesus Christ conquers. It's moving forward into the opportunities knowing Jesus has something more. He has a way. He has a way. Let me give you an example from the Apostle Paul. He comes out of 1 Corinthians 16, and here's how Paul experiences it in his own life. He says, I'm coming to visit you after I've been to Macedonia, for I'm planning to travel through Macedonia. I hope they didn't have orange barrels in Macedonia on the way. But anyway... He's going to take a trip. He's going to travel. He says, perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way to my next destination. What does Paul understand in his life? There is always a next destination. Right? I mean, he can go and stay here for a while, but there's always another doorway of opportunity. There is always another next destination for him to accomplish for Jesus Christ. He is confident that God always has something more out in front of him for him to accomplish to bring glory to Jesus. I may stay for a while, but there's always the next destination. He says, this time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want, this is what I'd like, I want to come and stay a while, notice, if the Lord will let me. You see what's happening? I'd like to do this. this. This is what I think, this is what I would like to do, but you know what? I'm not the one that gets to make the choice. I'd like to stay for a while, but if God puts it on my heart, if Jesus leads me in another direction, i got to do what he asked me to do. I, I'd like to stay for a while, but it's all subject to whatever it is Jesus wants to do and bring into my life. You see, that's the surrender. That's the surrender. Paul always knew that his life was not subject to what he wanted. His life was always subject to whatever it is Jesus wanted to do and bring and through his life 
into the future. And now notice where he ends up. In the meantime, I'll be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. Now look at verse 9. I even made it bold for you so you can't miss it. You see it? There is a wide open door for a great work here. What is there? There is a wide open door for a great work here. Are you listening? Here's the challenge. Even though God puts doorways of opportunities opportunities into our future, wherever you are right now is an opportunity for God to work in your life. So you may not be at the greatest place right now in your life. Things may not be clicking and going the way you hope that they are. But it's still a great place because Jesus Christ conquers. Jesus Christ conquers. And wherever you are is always the opportunity to surrender to Jesus. Wherever you are is always the opportunity to let Jesus be more and more in your life. Wherever you are, whether you're in a pinnacle or whether you're in a challenge, wherever you are is the opportunity for a door for Jesus to work. Did you get that? Paul understood that. You see, Paul wasn't always traveling. Paul was also in prison. Paul was also shipwrecked. Paul was also beaten. Paul was also and also and also, right? And in each of those also's, he always saw this was the place and the opportunity for Jesus to do more in my life. You see, wherever you are, Jesus is working and ready to do and make that an opportunity for a doorway in your life. And Jesus Christ conquers. Let me give you one last word from Revelations. Uh, and he gives us that confirmation. It says, This is what you must write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. I am the one who is holy and true, and I have the keys that belong to David. When I open a door, no one can close it. And when I close a door, no one can open it. Listen to what I say. I know everything you have done. Now notice the next verse here. And I have placed before you an open door that no one can close. You see, wherever you are right now is an opportunity for Jesus to work in your life. Because he has opened a door that nobody can close. And I have the proof. Look at the next picture. That door can never be closed. That door can never be closed. He has opened that door of life for us. And wherever we are, it's life. And wherever we are, Jesus will conquer. And wherever we are, it is an opportunity. And wherever we are, Jesus is ready to put his hand upon us and keep us moving forward in life. And that door can never be closed. When you open a door and you surrender to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for opening doors for us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to uh, just surrender and, and being so eager to be part of our life and to move in and, and to move all the other stuff out. 
Father, we just pray today that you would help us to stay on that narrow street, that narrow path that is the only way, the true way of life. To listen to you, to do what you ask, to be about whatever your will and desire is. Help us, Father, to see each moment as an opportunity, a door, a door that you can open. And, and if we're facing a challenge, it is the doorway to know that you will conquer this if we're facing a challenge, it is a doorway to know that we can praise you in the midst of the deepest struggle. If it's a challenge to know that you're not done with us, but your word is always a word that looks forward to life. And in our rejoicing, and in our celebrations and our joys, it's the opportunity to rejoice and know that all good things come from you. That it's not by virtue of ourselves, but it's your grace and your goodness that showers upon us, your favor that rests on us. Father, we thank you for this time today and we ask, give us such grace that we can open the door and totally surrender to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.